<laughs> All right, if you got your Bibles with you, open up to Revelation chapter 6. We are diving headlong into the 70th week of Daniel. So, as we take a look at it, what I want you to do is keep in mind... Now, there's been, there's a lot of, I don't know what, there's a lot of, it's not really controversy. There's a lot of opinions about the book of Revelation. And one of the things that I think helps us stay grounded to what the Word says, because the bottom line is, guys, when we study the Word of God, we want to stay grounded to the Word of God. It's not my opinion. It's not somebody else's opinion. Uh, it's what is the word saying? And, and then being, being a, a student of the word to the point that you, do you understand that the, the full picture of what the, the painting that the word of God is, is painting for us requires us to look at more than one book or one chapter or one place. We got to be willing to allow all of the word of God to speak. One of the beautiful things that Paul said to the church was, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That he, he had touched on every doctrine, every concept, laying it all out so that they could understand what it was that God's word was laying out for him. So as we come to Revelation chapter 6, I have uh, <clears throat> shared with you before, from Revelation 6 to Revelation 19, we are looking at several verses, several chapters that are all dealing with the wrath of God. Now there's a lot of, of views about the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre, uh, pre-wrath, all of those views, when you come to those views, have an understanding of the wrath of God not happening from the beginning. And really my only problem with that is what the Bible teaches. So what, what's the Bible telling us? When, it, when we come to this period of time, Revelation chapter 6, the opening of the seven seals, the beginning of everything we have laid out for us. So let's look. We're going to read the first eight verses, and I'm not promising that I'll get past verse 1. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best, but there's a carol back there in the computer is about 10,000 references, and I don't want to go fast through it, so I'm just going to take my time, and hopefully that helps me not be confusing. So let's see. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard... One of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. Oh, everything just went crazy. Uh, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that the people would slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, But do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed uh, with him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth 
to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this section in uh, Revelation chapter 6, dealing with what is commonly called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, God, I pray that we would just have eyes and ears open to, to your word, God, and we would allow you to speak, that we would uh, just have uh, clarity of mind, Father, as we look at the scripture, and we pray that you be glorified in and through it all. So we, we ask again your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking. The, the tribulation period has begun. So the 70th week, a lot of times I like to call it because there's been so much talk about the tribulation and argument about what is the tribulation and when does the tribulation really start. So I like to make it simple. I have like to go back to what Daniel said. Daniel said that this is the 70th week. It's a seven-year period of time where God is once again turning his attention toward Israel to bring about the repentance of the nation of Israel. That's the, the purpose behind the 70th week. It is also a time in which God is pouring out his wrath, his judgment on the whole earth, everybody who's on there. It's not like when God judged Egypt. Remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt and some of the plagues landed, but they didn't really touch the children of Israel? That's not what you're looking at here. What you're looking at here is, is global apocalypse. In fact, the, the, the book Revelation is called the Apocalypsis. Uh, it's where we get the concept of apocalypse. It is uh, written in the genre of uh, apocalyptic literature, which which uses lots of signs and symbols so that uh, the, the understanding could be uh, passed down from generation to generation. And as we look at it, we want to we have understanding of what's going on. So here I want you to see. So the 70th week of Daniel begins with the opening of the seven seals. When the first seal opens, it starts. Okay? First seal opens, the 70th week of Daniel begins. At the seventh seal... There are seven trumpets. Now, I just want you to picture the seals, okay, and the scroll. By the time you get to the seventh seal, you've opened the scroll. You with me? The scroll's open. So everything that we're looking at is encapsulated in that seventh seal. It's open. In that seventh seal, you have seven trumpets. Okay, there's going to be seven trumpet judgments. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Seven trumpets occur in the seventh seal. Everybody tracking with me so far? The seven bowls happen, occur, during the blowing of the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet blows for the entire final three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. The seventh trumpet is sounding... Until the end. Now, where do I get all these ideas? Well, let's, let's take a look at what Revelation is going to tell us, okay? It says in Revelation 6.17, just, I just want to track this idea of God's wrath. Revelation 6.17 says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, what chapter is that taken out of? Chapter 6, right? Chapter 6, uh, verse 17, which is dealing with the opening of the seals. Specifically, in verse 16, it's called the wrath of the Lamb. In chapter 17, it says, The day of their, plural, it's a plural pronoun, the day of their uh, wrath has come. 
Not is coming. Are you with me? It, it has come. It's here. It's hitting. It's landing in chapter 6. Wrath. The wrath of God hitting. Chapter 6 is poured out. In Revelation 10, 7, it says, But in the days of the trumpet, the call to be sounded by the seventh angel, or the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So when that seventh trumpet blasts, and it blasts through the seven bulls, when that seventh trumpet blasts, it says now the mysteries, he's talking about a mystery, the, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. It's going to be finished in that period of time. Now I think that what the scripture lays out for us is the mystery of God is this. How long will the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Read your Bible. How many times that question come up? How long will the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Now, along the lines with that, we also know that, that specifically what God's doing here in this 70th week of Daniel is righting those wrongs. Look, it says in Revelation 6.10, They cried out with a loud voice. We're, we're talking about the, the uh, under the altar. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There's a phrase that's going to come up over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. And I think it's better translated earth dwellers, but they, they give it to us as those who dwell on the earth. The idea of earth dwellers are people upon whom or in whom their hope and all that they desire is in this world. There are two kinds of people. People whose hope is in Christ and people whose hope is in the world. So when the book of Revelation is talking about earth dwellers, it's talking about your basic unbeliever rejecter of Christ. And so the question of the martyrs, those who have been killed under the throne, looking at God, how long before you're going to judge? How long before you're going to make this right? He's, it's laid out for him in Revelation 6.10. Revelation 16.6. Again, speaking of the judgment of God during this period of time, it says, For they have shed the blood of saints... And prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. God's bringing about the conclusion of this mystery of how the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. He is going to write that. It says in Revelation seventeen six. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. In Revelation 18.20, it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Part of a portion, a, a part of the wrath that's being poured out is for the blood of the saints. In Revelation 18.24, it says, And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. The Bible told us in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, that when righteous blood is shed, the earth cries out to heaven for justice. And that if a nation feels, if the nation is filled with innocent blood, that God will require that at the nation's hand. So, when you think about the idea of innocent blood, the blood of saints, man...
There's a lot of guilty places on this earth, isn't there? Yeah, it doesn't take very long to figure it out. If I don't want to pick on nothing else, if I just pick the easy one and say, there are 60 million dead babies since Roe v. Wade in the United States. 60 million. That's a lot of innocent blood. You think Cain's blood cried out to God? Where do you think the blood of them cried out? Yeah, so you have this innocent blood. It's, it's God saying, look, man, the, the land is defiled and it needs to be cleansed. It needs to be purged. Judgment needs to come. Verse uh, Revelation 19.2 says, For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So you have this idea, the fulfillment of the mystery of God, I think part of, at least part of what's going on in the 70th week of Daniel is justice coming for the innocent blood, for the blood of the saints, for, for the martyrs who have been slain, for the innocent who have been slain all throughout time. Now, that was just like a little segue. Let's look now at Revelation eleven eighteen, talking about wrath again. The nations raged... But your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Revelation eleven eighteen again, speaking about the wrath of God. Revelation fifteen one. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues. Which are the last? For with them, the wrath of God is, what's that word? Fulfilled, complete, finished. So what do we have in the last three and a half years? The finishing of the wrath of God. What do you have in the first three and a half? The beginning of the wrath of God. Now, I'm not trying to argue that the second half ain't worse than the first. Bible's going to tell us. We, we, the, the plagues get progressively greater, right? You remember the plagues in Egypt. <clears throat> it started not so bad. It ended pretty bad, right? The same way as we look here in the book of Revelation. But the wrath, I just wanted to, to clarify, the wrath of God has begun. It says in, uh, it says in Revelation 16.1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go, pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Continued. Revelation 16, 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne and said, Te telestai. You've heard those words before. Yeah? From the cross, it is finished. Wrath is done. Judgment has been completed. So we'll see that through the 70th week of Daniel, which is going to begin in Revelation chapter 6. We begin with the wrath of God immediately, and it gets greater and greater and greater until the end, when God says, that's it, it's done. It is complete. And then we have Jesus' return. So as we look, Revelation begins this process. Uh, Revelation 6.1. So let's, let's start with a description of what happens. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. So John is seeing this, right? 
We saw in chapter 4, he was brought up into heaven. He saw the throne of God, this, this beautiful vision of the Father, a beautiful vision of the Son and the Holy Spirit there in the midst of the four living creatures, looking for who would be worthy, right, to get the scroll. Uh, the Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is worthy. He takes a scroll, pops the first scroll. When he, As soon as he pops that, that first scroll... Uh, it says, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. Now, what, is, what does that mean to you? It's not a soft whisper, right? Like thunder is kind of alarming, no? So it's, it's like a, almost like the sound of that seal breaks and the sound of a bomb going off, right? It, it kind of, it would, it would jolt you as this animal says, come and see, come. So I just want you to get that picture. Bang, the 70th week is being cracked. That first seal is being opened, and he's told to come. And it says in verse 2, in verse 2 we have the deception of the white horse. It says in verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now a lot of commentaries will differ on, on who the rider of Revelation 6-2 is. A lot of commentaries say this is Jesus Christ in the beginning of his conquering, especially our, our friends and, and brothers who are uh, post-millennialists. They'll see a lot of that because the idea is that the church is to move forward in victory um, and the world to be changed by the church and Christ is going to continue to conquer until that's all done. But as we spend time looking at the scripture and bringing it together, with the whole counsel of God, I, I, just, I just don't see how you can come up with that understanding. So let's talk about the identity of the one on the white horse. It says, first off, I saw one on the right horse. His rider had a bow and a crown was given him. The crown was given him. Speaking of his authority, his authority, authority is a gift. In Revelation 13, 4, it says, they worship the dragon... The devil, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Now, the reason why this first horseman, the first horseman of the apocalypse, I see as the pseudo-Christ. Well, a lot of times people call it the Antichrist, but I think that gives you the wrong idea. In the Greek, the word anti doesn't mean opposed to. It means in place of. If you think about the idea that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But the, the time would come when another will come. And people will happily flock to him. When we think about the Antichrist, the Pseudo-Christ, the False Christ, the Deceiver Christ, whatever you want to look at it. He's not going to have horns and a tail. He's not going to be diabolical. Everybody's going to love him. Everybody's going to love him. He's going to be like the hero of every book you've ever read. He's just going to look like all that in a box of chocolate too. He's got it all together. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, and with all power, false signs, and wonders. You're going to see this... This guy, come on. Now, in a moment we'll get to why, for sure, why I see this in the whole council of God as being the pseudo-Christ. But 
this authority. He's given a crown. The crown is a Stephanos crown. It's not a diadem. The diadems uh, typically are what a king would wear. Stephanos is what a runner in the Olympics would get because he had victory. So the idea is you're going to have a Stephanos. Everybody's going to look at this guy like, man, you've had all the right decisions. You've helped us make all the right plans. You've helped us put all these things together. And eventually they're going to give him all power and authority. The world's just going to give it to him. They're going to hand it to him. What do I mean? Well, look at the world today. You ever try to make a decision with like 200 nations together trying to decide what to do? How do you think that works? You think there's a problem with that? Now, what happens if all the nations, the United Nations, got together and said, you know what? We have a hard time making all these plans. Why don't we just hand over authority to this guy? And everybody's going to say, yeah. Man, that guy, because of some of the things he's done, they're going to say, that's the one. That's the guy we want. That's the one we want leading us. That's the, What does Christ mean, guys? It means the anointed one. The anointed one. Jesus Christ is the anointed one to bring men before God. The Antichrist is the one who is the anointed one of the world that is in, uh, um, in place of Jesus. Ah, I'm not really down with that guy, but this dude? Yeah, no, he's the hero. He's the fighter. He's the conqueror. Well, you see, when, when the king would come in peace, what did he ride? A donkey. Because nobody looked at a king on a donkey and thought, oh, oh my gosh, right? I'm afraid. Nobody's standing in the Temple Mount when Jesus rode up the Temple Mount on a donkey was afraid of a conquering king. What did a conquering king ride? A white horse. You look at Rome. Every time a Roman general came home or went into battle, he was riding the same kind of steed. Big old white horse, all decked out. He wanted everybody who saw him to go, whoa. This guy comes carrying a bow. A bow. And I think that bow symbolizes a promise of peace. Comes with a bow. I think it's a bow like the scriptures talk about. Like the rainbow. Now, maybe people who disagree, but ultimately, I'll tell you why. I think Daniel 9 tells us that he's going to come with a plan for peace. But he's coming conquering and to conquer. He's going to have a steady succession of victory after victory after victory. And the world is going to praise this guy. Think about what would happen if some guy came on the scene from some country, wherever. If it, could be, it could be here. <clears throat> and he comes onto the world and he solves the Middle East peace process. And in fact, in the process of solving the Middle East peace process, a guy stands up in opposition to him and he hammers him. Puts him in his place. Shuts it down right now. No muss, no fuss, no gaming, no talking. Boom. Everywhere he goes, every, t- every time some, some ruckus starts in some nation, he shows up, bam, with an army and a plan. And it, g- people get in line. What do you think the world does with that guy? What does it do with the Prince of Peace who rides in on a donkey? Promising peace. Puts him on a cross. What's it do if he comes in under his abilities and power and strength and, and he gets everybody excited? Come on, it don't take long. Somebody starts doing something in the U.S. and next thing you know we're all singing God bless uh, USA and, and we're 
lifting up the flag and waving it. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying you can see that happen, couldn't you? Yeah, some guy be able to solve those problems. Boom. Boom. He's, he's given a crown. And I think part of that emphasis, not only is the, the devil giving him power, but I think he's given the crown because people are going to give it to him. They're going to beg him to rule them. The nations of the world are going to say, man, I wish you were in charge. I wish you were our president. I wish you were our king. And that's exactly the kind of leader, guys, that the word of God speaks of. He's coming on a white horse, speaking of his ability to conquer, to conquer. Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Who's that? That's Jesus. We're not, it's not easy to see him, huh? The Bible says he's faithful and true. In Revelation 19, by the way, that's the end. He's coming back. Set it right. And everybody agrees on that. Jesus Christ coming back. Revelation 19. And in Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5, it says, And Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the anointed one. I'm the leader you've been looking for. Jesus said, don't believe him. That's all that word means. Christ, sometimes we think it's Jesus' last name. Christ is the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is the word Messiah, which means anointed one. Like, this is the guy. That's what they called every king Israel ever had. They called him the anointed one. David, when he wouldn't kill Saul, what did he say? I won't kill what? The Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. So there is that, that one true return of the king, that's Jesus Christ. But there's going to be other guys, right? All other, other counterfeits that sit upon the throne. Matthew 24, 23. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I don't want you to miss what he's saying. When's the last time you were standing outside in the middle of the night and lightning went all the way across the sky in front of you, from the east to the west? Did you miss it? Or did you see it? Yeah, I was like, whoa, did you see that? So he says, look, don't let people tell you there's some secret coming. No secret coming. When I come, you'll know. When I come, you'll know just as if lightning went across the sky. Yeah, we wouldn't miss that. I might miss a quick flash, but I don't miss a flash that goes east to west. That's big and I'll be seeing that. And that's what he wants us to know. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. So let's talk about this world leader. Let me, let me give you the descriptions. Wide view, wide angle view. We're looking at the word of God. This, this pseudo Christ, false Christ, a false anointed one who has all the answers to the world's problems. Where do we get that idea from? We get that idea from the book of Daniel. We just went through the book of Daniel on Sunday mornings. Maybe you remember we worked our way through the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 8, talking about this guy. He said, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one. Okay, so he's looking at the horns, looking at the horns. 
Remember, horns speak of power. So if we look at these horns, we look at these horns as kings. They're, they're uh, synonymous with the ten toes of the statue in Daniel. Is everybody with me? If you're totally lost, get the Daniel tapes and work through Daniel because we're going to talk about Daniel a lot. So ten horns, talk about ten kings. It's going to say in the midst of those guys, just a little one's going to come up. He's going to start to be noticed. And they're going to look at him and say, Oh, this little guy, what? We need this guy on our team, man. He's got it together. He's got it together. What's it say? He said, I saw a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So what's he going to do? He's going to take power away from three of the ten. Remember, he came conquering and the conqueror. Eventually, he's going to get it all. He's going to pluck them up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking Great things. Both of those are phrases often used of the pseudo-Christ, the in place of Christ, the Antichrist, the one final uh, kingdom, final world leader. In Daniel 7.21 it says, And I looked, and this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And Daniel, when it talks about the saints, what's it talking about? Don't confuse this. Daniel is where? Old or New Testament? So in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament was talking about saints, who's it talking about? Christians? No. There's there any Christians yet? No. So who were the saints? Jews. Israel, right? Nation of Israel. So this guy's going to make war against Israel, and he's going to prevail. He's going to prevail. He's He's going to be able to conquer. In verse 25, Daniel 7. He shall speak words against the Most High. Now, who's the Most High? Oh, that's right. El Elyon, God Most High. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they will be given into His hand for time, times, and a half time. If time is one and times is two and a half time, what do we got? Three and a half Years. Interesting, though. They'll be given into his hand for three and a half years. Now, I told you, this is the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. This is a week when God turns his attention to the nation of Israel and their restoration. In fact, Paul writes about it in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He talks about this idea that you and I, the church, has been grafted in. But God is able, right, to graft in the natural branch again? Yeah, God is able. God's going to fulfill His promises to the nation. He's going to fulfill those promises. He's going to get judgment on the nations for their rejection of Christ. All of these things are going to take place. So this guy's going to, going to run roughshod over the nation of Israel for three and a half years. And right before he finishes them, right before he can snuff out the light, another king's going to come back. It says all the armies of the world are going to be waiting in the same valley. If you went to Israel with us, you saw it. We stood on Mount Megiddo and we looked into the Jezreel Valley and we saw this incredible, wide, huge valley called Armageddon. And before he can snuff them out, the real king is going to come back. Jesus Christ on the white horse, Revelation chapter 19. So this is spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. Let's, that's the little horn. But let's talk about the prince who is to come. 
in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. This is the 70th week, the 70 weeks of Daniel. Famous prophecy. We won't spend a lot of time on it all. If you don't know a lot about it, I'd encourage you to get the tape so you can catch up on it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it will be built again uh, with squares and a moat, but in troublesome time. So you have seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time in this, but basically the children of Israel in Babylon, they get this prophecy that from the word to go back and rebuild what? Jerusalem. The word to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, right? There will be seven weeks. It's going to take them seven weeks just to rebuild the streets, the moat, the squares and the moat to, to, to put together those areas of the city. It's going to take them seven weeks. And Daniel, weeks are equal to years. Hepstead's like decades, seven sevens. So that's 49 years. And then it's going to take 62, 62 weeks. Seven times 62 and seven times seven is going to leave us with, who is our quick mathematician? Is it 480? No quick mathematicians? Jason? Did he? <laughs> oh, it doesn't make any difference. Let me just give you the rundown. Uh, 62 weeks, it will be built again, squares and remote, in troublesome times. But after the 62 weeks, so after 69 total, an anointed one, Messiah, will be cut off and have nothing. At the end of 62 weeks, Messiah is going to come in. He's going to enter into the city. If you read Sir Robert Anderson's book on the coming, uh, the coming prince, he breaks down the mathematics of it. Again, check out the tapes for Daniel 9. You'll be able to see it all. I wish I could remember. He gets it all down to days. I want to say it's 173,880 days from the decree on March 14th, 445 B.C. to go rebuild Jerusalem. Brings us to April 6th. 32 AD, which is the day Mashiach, the anointed one, was on that day, was the day Jesus wouldn't let anybody be quiet about who he was. You remember? The Pharisee said, Shh, be, tell these people to be quiet. And he said, no. If I told them to be quiet, the rocks would cry out. You remember? And then he stopped and he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, if only you knew this, your day, the things that make for your peace. Because your king is here. Riding on a donkey. Peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus came to die. It wasn't a surprise to him. He came to fulfill that purpose. So Jesus is coming for that. So after 69 weeks, Messiah is cut off. The word is karat, put to death. Put to death. After 69 weeks, you enter into a gap, a period of time. It says, uh, he shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. So at the 69th week, the nation of Israel, as, as far as God is concerned, to kill their king, it's over. It is 38 years later. That's what I mean. Time, the count stopped. 69 weeks. Messiah came, was rejected, count stopped. Count stop until the 70th week begins. During that gap, when the count stopped, the nation of Israel is destroyed, 70 A.D., right? 
What did it say? The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. And the end will be like a flood. People spread out all over. We call that the dispersion. Where did Jews go? Everywhere, right? All over the world? Yeah? You can run into them all over the place. Jews are everywhere. And until the end, desecrations are decreed. How many times has the city of peace been destroyed? Anybody know? Well, I know it's been rebuilt one more time than the times it's been destroyed. I want to say 17, but it might be more than that. Destroyed 17 times, rebuilt 18. How many times has there been a war in Jerusalem in the Middle East? Oh, so have there been desolations decreed? Has the world been kind of sideways over there and we wonder why those people can't get it together? That's what the Bible said it was going to be like. Now look what it says next in the next part of the prophecy. Now, verse 27, and he, you guys see that word he? Okay, it goes back to the nearest antecedent, which means it goes back to the people of the prince who is to come. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city. So somewhere from a Roman, the idea of a revived Roman Empire, that's where it comes from. Because Rome destroyed Israel, we don't have to wonder who did it. The people who destroyed Israel, it's Titus Vespasian in 70 A.D., he will make a strong covenant with many for one week. So he refers to this anointed one, this prince, this guy, this little horn. How does he enter into the world scene? He makes peace. Who does he make peace with? It says with the many. The definite article is before the word many. With the many is a reference to the nation of Israel. He will make peace with the many for how long? One week, seven years, 70th week of Daniel, first seal, boom, clock's ticking. Time on God's clock is winding again. The 70th week has begun. He will make a covenant with many. And for half of the week, he will put an end uh, to sacrifice an offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one that makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So at three and a half years, he's going to do what? The abomination of desolation. What's the abomination of desolation? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says he's going to put himself in the Holy of Holies, in the temple that doesn't exist yet, and he's going to declare himself to be God. And now... Seven bull judgments, the seventh trumpet is sounding, you're at the three and a half year period, and moving toward the end. That's what Daniel 9 says. The first seal, a rider on a white horse with a, with a bow and a crown is going to be given to him. Now you just tell me what they're going to do with the guy who comes from the nation somewhere. The Roman Empire was huge, right? So it really doesn't make things easy for us. He could, he could come from almost anywhere in the known world and have been part of the Roman Empire. With a few exceptions. So, certainly covers all of Europe, right? Yeah. All of Europe. They were, they, the Roman Empire went all the way to Britain. All the way through the Middle East. Yeah. All the way to... to so, he's probably not coming from China. We'll, we'll understand that because there's going to be a little war thing going on with him and them and the sons of the East, the kings of the East. But... So you look at the, the, the maps of the Roman Empire, big place. Let's say a guy comes up. Let's say he comes up tomorrow. 
And he shows up somehow on the scene with authority and he says, Hey guys, I think I can figure out a, a peace plan for the Middle East. How many people have been trying to do that? You know, that's been going on for my whole life. Uh, I would bet for most of our whole lives. Because the war's been going on there since, what, 1948? Pretty much nobody cared about Israel until there was one. And then all of a sudden everybody wanted it. Or wants to see it burn. So... What if a guy comes on and he says, you know what, I can, I can put this thing together for you. And he's got a plan and everybody buys it. And what if he goes to the nation of Israel and he says, guys, man, I know you've really longed to have your temple. And there's Dome of the Rocks up there and, and there's this tension between the, the Islamic community and the Jewish community, right? Everybody knows that, right? So there's this tension between you. What if he's got a way of making peace and the Muslims say, you can put your temple next to ours? Because by the way, if you come with me ever to Israel, we're going to go up on the Temple Mount and they're going to yell at us. But we're going to stand at a place called the Dome of the Spirit. Nobody knows why they call it that. I know, because that's where the Holy of Holies was. Which is directly in line with the eastern gate, which is where the door of the temple was supposed to be directly in line <coughs> with the eastern gate and pointing up the Mount of Olives and over to Bethany, which is the way Jesus came when he walked in on uh, Palm Sunday. We're going to stand there, we're going to look at it, and I'm going to say, See, you could put a temple here. Because the Dome of the Rock's way over there. They built the Dome of the Rock over the wrong piece of bedrock. So this one's empty. So if a guy's got a plan, now what if he comes, a lot of speculation, what if he comes and he says, hey, I know how you guys, and he gets them together, and they let them build that temple. Because there's got to be a temple, right? In order, for the, in order for the Antichrist to declare himself to be God in the temple, there's got to be a temple. So at some point, it don't have to, they don't have to have it built before the 70th week, do they? they got to finish the Holy Holies by when? By the middle. So Jesus can go, or so that uh, Antichrist can go stand in it at three and a half years. But they, it could be built, starting building it from the first day. They could start building it from before that. But if, what if he's got this plan and it all looks good, right? Because every good movie has this, oh, everything's going to fit out. And then all of a sudden a bad guy shows up. Uh, whoever, it doesn't matter who it is. A bad guy in the Middle East, is that hard to find? Okay, so a bad guy in the Middle East, he raises the ruckus, and he's going to, oh, I'm not going to let, this is crazy, I'm not going to let this. And they, and they put together an army like they're going to put it down, and all of a sudden this guy takes his army and goes and whoops that guy. And establishes peace in the Middle East. But you don't think people are going to say, dang, that guy is, he's got it together. They he, he's able to control things, able to run a nation, he's able to do these things. This is amazing. I, I never thought we'd see a guy like this, the prince who is to come. He's also called a king who blasphemes. So we won't spend a lot of time looking at this one. Daniel chapter 11, when you got time. Daniel chapter 11 from verse 36 to verse 45 basically paints the Antichrist as a military savior. A guy who worships a god of fortresses. He's got a concept for military conquest. He's got he's got idea. He's not a, he's not uh, opposed to peace, but he's his plan is hey if, if you don't agree with me, I'll make you agree with me. Are you with me? He comes on a white horse, conquering into conquer, and the people are going to give him the crown. They're going to give it to him. 
They're going to hand it to him. The Bible also calls him the man of sin and the son of perdition. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, it says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That's never happened. Titus Vespasian, when he destroyed the nation of Israel, didn't go stand in the temple. He burned it down. The gold melted and they turned every rock over to get to the gold. What did Jesus say? Not one rock will be left on another, right? And you can still go into the Tropian Valley and see the rocks all turned over in the Tropian Valley. Why they dump all the rocks off? Get to the gold. You build a giant thing of gold, melt it, where's all the gold go? The cracks of the rock. Well, if I want the gold, what do I got to do? Turn them over. Turn them over. Get the gold. So this guy is going to do that. In 1 John 2.18, he's called the Antichrist. Children, it's the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come, therefore we know it is the last hour. Remember, not in opposition to Christ, but pseudo, in place of. Someone wants to worship this guy because he's just a hero. It's a good guy. Seems like a good guy. The book of Revelation also calls him a beast. Revelation chapter 13 lays out for us that idea. So what kind of impact is this guy going to have, this first horseman? He's going to rise to power through continual conquests. And the world is going to give him the crown. The world's not going to give Jesus the crown. He's going to come take it. But this guy, they're going to give it to him. They're going to fall over themselves. That's why, guys, when the Bible says, look, man, people are going to take a mark of a beast. They can't buy or sell without it. And people say, oh, no, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't. There, there's one guarantee you won't take the mark. You know what it is? If your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. That's what the Bible said. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you won't take it. Otherwise, yeah, you will. The Roman Empire did it for whatever, a thousand years. Took a pinch of incense, declared Caesar was Lord, threw it on the fire and received a certificate saying, you are now a good citizen of the Roman Empire. Well, not the first time that stuff's happened. That's going to happen. Why? It's not, it's not a big sell because everybody's going to like him. You get it. Nobody, everybody didn't like Jesus, right? He had too many controversial things to say. He was too busy telling people what was really going on in their heart and what their real problem was, was a sin issue and that they needed to humble themselves and that they needed to, to repent from their sin and turn to Him for life. They didn't like that message. This guy's message is going to go, hey, come on, we can do it. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're going to go out there and straighten these things out. And everybody's going to love this guy. At least for three and a half years. He's the first seal. The first horseman of the apocalypse. The beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. The peace treaty starts it all. And now the clock's ticking. Seven years ago. You get it? Does it make sense? Everybody tracking with me? So, yeah. Well, you were at four and five, right? Chapter four and five. So keep in mind this idea. 
when we look at Second Thessalonians chapter two, Second Thessalonians says, "Hey, uh, you know the people who have died, they're going to miss out on the return of the Lord." And, and he's saying, "No, no, no, you guys aren't going to miss out on it." In First Thessalonians chapter four, he says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with Him in the air, and we'll be with Him forever. There's a call for the church to come home. First Thessalonians five nine says that we are not appointed unto wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did I just tell you? Chapter 6 began? Wrath. Are you appointed to wrath? Nope. nope, you're not appointed under wrath. Now, does that mean we don't have a responsibility? Now? Sure. Our responsibility is not to go, whew, I'm out of here. What's our responsibility to do? Yeah, spread the word, man. Spread the word. Give the gospel out. Give mankind opportunity to... Make a choice to repent and believe, right? And escape the tribulation that will come upon the whole world. That's what it told us in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. So, yes, no, we will not be here for that part. And I don't waste any time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, right? You guys heard me say that? I could care less. I got Jesus Christ. I don't need a pseudo-Christ. I got him. I already have a king. I don't look at a president as a great white hope. could care less. You know, I vote. I do my thing. But my hope is in Christ, not in Him. My hope is in Jesus. I keep my eyes on Him, right? So I don't, uh, I don't, I don't want to fall for some pseudo, fake, anti-dude, right? You guys with me? So the 70th week, sometime prior to the 70th week, the Bible tells us that the Lord is going to blow a trumpet the, the, at the trump of God, the shout of the Antichrist, the church goes home. And the 70th week of Daniel is God turning his attention toward who? The restoration of what? Israel, right? He's kind of left them out in the breeze for a while. No? Yeah, for sure. Now, what about during that time? If a, if a Jew comes, hears the gospel and gets saved, what happens? He's saved. The Bible says there's no, neither Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, no men or woman. If you're saved, you're in Christ. Period. Yeah? yeah? But God's got some promises to a nation he made. And he's going to keep them. He's going to put it right. Yeah? And when we get to chapters 19, 20, 21, 22, hopefully you get to see all that clear. If you're super confused, I'll be here. So come up and ask me questions. I'll be happy to answer them for you guys. Why don't we stand up? Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you for this opportunity we have to open your word and to begin to take a look, God. And I... I thank you for what I see as clear teaching of your word, that the wrath of God is being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. As you move toward the restoration of the nation of Israel, the church is by your side, Father God, uh, um, for uh, that, that wedding of uh, Jesus and his bride, Lord. I look forward to the... the uh, Marriage Supper of the Lamb in chapter 19 as the Old Testament saints and the church and the tribulation saints are all gathered together uh, for the marriage supper and the establishing of the kingdom, Lord. We, we are excited about those days. And I pray, God, as we look at this, and there's going to be several chapters of just uh, death and destruction and, 
and pain and misery and, and judgment poured out. God, I pray as we look at all that, we recognize, Lord, that the reason you've told us the end from the beginning is so that we would have a motivation for why we shouldn't just be sitting and doing nothing with the, with the information that we've been given in the gospel. God, you said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, so go to every nation, making disciples, teaching them the things I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And know this, I am with you even to the end. So God, we just thank you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. We pray, God, as we continue to study, you would continue to help us get our minds wrapped around this concept of eschatology, the study of end times, that we might know that there is a reason for the hope that we have within us. And God, that we would be looking to you as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns and sets things right, Lord. I pray, God, it would be our desire to be ready when Jesus comes. To be ready to see him on that day, not surprised, ready because we have been faithful servants doing what the Master has called us to do. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified, Father, and we would find that you indeed are worthy of our praise. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.